galaxy far, far away. And a bookshelf straight out of the 90s. From Thrawn to Dantooine, and everything in between. This is Legends Look Back. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Legends Look Back, a show brought to you by Utini.com, a show that's been described as the podcast you wish you could have listened to on your way to rent Caravan of Courage from your local blockbuster, where we talk about all things Star Wars Legends, celebrating our rich EU history as well as diving into lesser-known Star Wars classics. I'm your host, Jared Mays, and today I'm joined once again by the legendary Freddy C. himself. How's it going, Freddy? It's going, man. It's going. I have to say, your intros are, are amazing. I spend about as much time each week thinking of the 90s reference I can put in that intro as I do writing all the rest of the show notes. That's fantastic. First thing in the morning, as soon as I wake up, I'm thinking about what it's going to be. Uh, last thing I think about before I go to bed at night is what's the 90s thing I can put in there? Uh, everybody, put me your favorite thing about the 90s in the chat or the Discord or the YouTube comments because I need more information. I need some more help. <laughs> um, Legends Look Back, colon, help wanted, as always. Um we are, of course, joined this week by our special guest, first time ever on Legends Look Back, but no stranger to Utini, um, the Utini community. We've got Taco Tim himself, hey, hey. Uh, Timothy Guthrie. Uh, welcome, Tim. Uh, thank you guys for having me. I'm super looking forward to this. Glad to have you here. Uh, couldn't be more excited. I got to say, Tim, I got a little bit of Legends beef with you. All right. Um, what? Freddie Freddy and I are trying to corner the market when it comes to Star Wars Legends at Utini, in case you can't tell. <laughs> yeah. We, we, we started a Star Wars Legends podcast, and we were like, hey, we're starting video over here at Utini. Somebody's going to be talking about Legends on the YouTube channel. Somebody's going to be talking about Legends on Twitch. It better be us. So we slid into Corey's DMs and all that good stuff, <laughs> and six months later, and uh, several almost firings, here we are, talking about Legends. Couldn't be more excited about it. But Tim, you start your own podcast. Yeah. First book you do is canon. Second book, you guys are crossing over into our Legends territory with Revenge of the Sith. So, uh, first of all, who do you think you are? Um, I am the person that <laughs> thought Taco about bringing Tim. Legends to Discord. That's right, he is. <laughs> you, you forgot about Discord in your, in your strategy, so someone's got to cover it. So, let me be your official liaison. Okay, that sounds official. Uh, you can be our legendary liaison. I got to say, we, we've had some controversies surrounding the, uh, the prequel... Um, and original trilogy novelizations mm -hmm. because uh, I've heard several people refer to them as canon. Uh, on utini.com, on our timelines, you can find them listed as what category? Anybody know in the chat? Uh, utini Legends Look Back Trivia as we get started tonight. They're categorized as loosely canon, right? Uh, we just need hold on loosely canon. Gotta <laughs> love some 38 special. Um, you know that song, Freddie? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I do, I do. <laughs> I've seen them in concert nine times. What? Anyway, that's beside the point. <laughs> that's impressive. Um, but as far as I'm concerned, they're legends. Pure legends through and through. They're never really going to be canon. But back when, back when legends was canon-ish, um, the, the novelizations were definitely the most important things. You, you see what I'm saying, Freddie? It's like they're never going to be fully canon, but at one point they were definitely legends. Yes. We claim them. Yeah, yeah, it, it was. They belong on this shelf right back here with all the other legends. But there's only there's only a couple in that in that uh, group that that can count on that. It's it's a rare it's a rare breed, honestly, in uh, Star Wars literature. Yeah. Absolutely, uh, but you know what? Tonight's book is 100% legends. We're not talking about 50-50, A little bit of this, a little bit of that. This is as legends as legends get, and I couldn't be more excited to talk about it. Um, this is, of course, book two of the Thrawn trilogy, or as I like to call it, the sequel to the sequel to the sequel to Star Wars. Do you think that was the right number of sequels? Think about it for a second. I know it's a thinker. All right, we, need a, we need a sequels. meme of, of Freddy thinking. All right, so if you think about it, you got Star Wars, or A New Hope, as some call it, the new kids, and then you got uh, Empire Strikes Back. It's number one. Go, go ahead, Freddy. Bill me out. Right, you've got... Math is hard. <laughs> you've got Empire Strikes Back, first sequel. Return of the Jedi, second sequel. Yep. And then we've got uh, uh, Heir to the Empire, in my opinion. Right? Right. And then you have... It, it is. It really reads as a sequel to Return of the Jedi. Yeah. It's, it's firmly Return of the Jedi, through and through. It, I mean, it's, there's a flashback it's, to Jabba's palace, for crying out loud. Yep. That is true. Yeah. 
Okay, and that so that puts us up to how many sequels? This is the sequel to Heir to the Empire. So this is the sequel to the sequel to the sequel to the sequel of Star Wars. Cuatro. There you go. Four. Absolutely. All right. Well, that's going to go on a T-shirt. Um, but you know what's not going to go on a T-shirt? The rest of this podcast. So I am excited. You know, Timothy, I asked you to join us for this book in particular, and that is because we had this whole thing with Jake recently rereading them. I know you're a fan of these, though. Jake also is heretical in saying he didn't like Dark Force Rising as much as Heir to the Empire, so he wasn't even going to get a chance to talk. He said he felt like the trilogy got worse as it went on. You know, them's fighting words for sure. Yeah, Uh, I'll meet him But you know what? We loved having Jake on the show. What's that, Tim? I said, I'll I'll, I'll meet him outside. We'll settle this. (laughs) I'm coming for you, Jake. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, we will. And um, or maybe like, uh, was it Leia and Alima Rar who had a battle, a lightsaber battle on top of a moving spaceship? Yeah. That's that's totally how I want to see this go down between Tim and Jake. Gotta say, <laughs> Tim, I feel like Jake would probably win. Probably, hundred hundred percent. He looks like a big dude. Um, couldn't uh, couldn't be more excited to talk about this. But Tim, tell me what's your personal history with this book? Uh, how much do you love Dark Force Rising? When did you first read it? All that good stuff. Yeah, so um, I actually, for the very first time, jumped into Legends on Christmas Day of uh, this last Christmas. I read Heir to the Empire on Christmas Day. Oh, a new cover newcomer. to cover. And then I read Dark Force Rising uh, the day after that and finished it on New Year's Eve. I think it was 11.55 on New Year's Eve. Um, oh, so then wow. I, I took some, a five-minute break. Some people blow break. up the Death Star at midnight. Yep. You you uh, assassinate Thrawn at midnight. Spoiler warning. Sorry. Yep. All right, That's pretty much it. what happened. <laughs> wow. Um, so yeah, this was my second Amazing. read. Tim, you want to hear something heartwarming? The first time I ever read the Thrawn trilogy was at Christmas too. That's wow. incredible. I mean, it's it's getting all life day up in here. Yep. Um, what had happened was I brought a, a bunch of Jedi uh, Jedi. What are those books called? Young Jedi Knights books with me on a Christmas vacation we took. It was a long, long road trip from Arkansas to New York where we were staying. And I blazed through them because they're pretty short books. And I uh, didn't really like talking to my wife's family, so I just read instead. No, 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 they're great. If any of you are watching, you're wonderful. But you know me. I love my Star Wars books, especially when I'm on Christmas break. It's the best time to read. And... uh I quickly blazed through them all, so I was like, you know what? Next on my list, Thrawn Trilogy, here we go. Uh, just downloaded them on Kindle, read them right there on my phone. So, uh, Freddie, was your first experience reading Dark Force Rising over Christmas break? or uh, Summer. Uh, life, life Day break, summertime? summertime. I remember it clearly. All right, Freddie. Is, isn't it always summertime in California? <laughs> uh, it, gets, it gets like, uh, we got like two seasons. Uh, cold for us, which is like 50 degrees. And then, Tank tops uh, and t-shirts. Those are your two seasons, right? <laughs> yeah, basically. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I remember clearly being uh, in the forest. I had a pack of batteries. I'm talking a big pack of batteries. I had a, a uh, game gear, right? I had a game gear. Like Sega game yeah, gear? Yeah, I had a game gear with me because I was playing oh, game gear. Oh, my gosh. Uh, I had a parachute wrapped around... Uh, like one of those parachutes they used to drop in World War II uh, with like supplies. Okay. I had that with Luke on it, like the the Barbie Luke, right? It was like the, you know, <laughs> big, right? He had a parachute. That right next to me using... I have using, no idea what you're talking about, but I'm going to Google it after is, the episode. This is exactly, yeah, we're going to talk about this, but uh, using the light from the Game Gear to read at night, Dark Force Rising. Amazing. That was, that was my it. experience. I used to have one of the uh, Game Boys with the magnifying glass that like popped out six inches from the screen. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I think that's the first time my wife and I ever bonded was uh, talking about how we both had those as kids. Uh, let me know, did you read Dark Force Rising in the Forest while being chased by Vornskers with your Sega Game Gear? Were there Vornskers? I think I inserted the Vornskers. Uh, anyway, we are talking about the 1992 masterpiece, Dark Force Rising. That's right. I called it a masterpiece for sure. Uh, this is, we're not going to give as much personal history and uh, behind-the-scenes info on this as we did with Heir to the Empire. I mean, we could have done a whole a whole show just about the behind-the-scenes on Heir to the Empire. With this one, there's a little bit of behind-the-scenes that will come up as we go. But in particular, this one was published a year later in 1992. And uh, the only related materials I've found that tie into this one, there's no 20th anniversary edition. It's, I would say, in the, in the top 10, at least top five greatest Legends tragedies. Don't you think, Freddie? Yeah, yeah. There's no 20th anniversary edition. You, you got, like, the Sword of the Jedi cancellation. Um, 
and probably this is number two. What what else are the big tragedies of Legends? Uh, I mean, there's other tragedies you can see in a different way, but um, this is a big one because it you can tell it gets overshadowed by its uh, older its predecessor. Yeah, yeah its older brother, <laughs> its older brother, sister. <laughs> you know, they they just shine over it. That's the one everyone looks at. You've got the Thrawn trilogy, uh, but Heir to the Empire is the one that just gets gets that boost. Yeah, totally. I, I want to say in the chat a couple of great comments here. Um, uh, one eel says that, uh, can we get into this Barbie Luke more? She needs more details. She says she wants this one. So, Thre- Freddy, make sure you... I just called you Thready that time. At least you're not Spready Freddy this week. You're Thready Freddy. Thready Doing some Freddy. plumbing. Um, <laughs> you know, she she needs some info. So throw, throw a link in the Discord when we're done. Cheryl also says, I love this, she had started reading Air in Canada finished it in sweden and was like i need a bookstore stat yeah and that's a feeling i can identify with yep. i gotta find a bookstore mom and dad pull over the side of the road there's a bookstore <laughs> um that's the way all of our vacations go if you're a legends fan gotta say that the two related materials i'm gonna be looking for in a bookstore that pretty soon are or at least you know like thrift books um the west end game source book which also came out in 1992 by bill slavisek Totally not sure if I'm saying your name right, Mr. Bill, Mr. Slav. Uh, we're not, but uh, love your books, so can't wait to buy this one. I'm sure you'll get none of the profits because I'm buying it secondhand. And then also the Dark Horse comic adaptation, which I've been reading, rereading in preparation for this show. I'm on issue five out of the six. I couldn't quite finish it in time, so I'm on a cliffhanger here. Uh, There's about to be the battle at the end. Anyway, it was six issues, came from writer Mark Barron and uh, penciler terry dodson in 1997 um and just as there is for the um dark empire trilogy this was available in circuit what 2010 around that time as a hardback collector's edition either of you have this one uh, i gotta say out of all the the legends things i'd like to collect this might be top of my list to get the hardback uh, graphic novel of the thrawn trilogy you got this one Freddie? yeah i have this one this is this is my of favorite. course you do oh yeah yeah <laughs> yeah, I man, it. those are beautiful, and they are a pretty penny online right now. Should have scooped it up from my local Hastings back in high school when I had the chance. But we are going to get into it at this point. Remember, folks, if you haven't read this book, it's about to be spoiler-heavy territory. Get out of the forest like you're on the run from the Vornskers. So if you haven't read this book and plan to soon, continue at your own risk. Are you ready, Tim? I'm so ready. Bring it on. That was mostly me just testing to see if your camera's working, and it's not. Uh, so, no, no, okay, now you're caught up to speed. Awesome. Cool. So, Divided Loyalties threatened to rip the New Republic apart from the inside, as, of course, Heir to the Empire ended on the cliffhanger of, um, of Admiral Akbar having been arrested due to some political maneuvering by Borsk Falia. All the while, Grand Admiral Thrawn continues to maneuver his way to regain control of the galaxy. Even though he failed the last time, he's still got a grander plan because he's Thrawn, you know? Uh, his grand plan this time around, it's pretty basic, get more ships, right? After failing to capture the New Republic's ships at Sluis Van, thanks a lot, Lando, he's now recruiting smugglers and ship thieves to restock his garage. I almost read that as uh, restock his garbage, <laughs> which, you know, six of one, half a dozen. Uh, Card and Mara Jade are uh, relocating their crew after Thrawn went all Battle of Hoth on their Mirker base for aiding and abetting Luke Skywalker. Oh, yeah, Matt. Mara has a bad feeling about this because the Force and is able to get the supernatural heads up where Thrawn ambushes them. She learns from Card that he just so happens to have a lead on where to find the long-lost Katana fleet. Have you ever heard the tragedy of the Katana fleet? Um, she, uh, of course, Card has um, a bit of insight on where this might be. This is, of course, an MIA army's worth of Old Republic dreadnoughts that someone, you know, accidentally misplaced. Because, Jerry, come on, you only had one job. I specifically asked you not to lose the freaking spaceships. Anyway, Card isn't the only one with an idea of where to find the Dark Force fleet, however. Han and Lando end up as dinner guests of Old Republic Senator and Battle Commander Garm Bell Iblis, who helped found the Rebellion, but stormed off on his own because he didn't exactly get along with Mon Mothma very well. Which is understandable, honestly, because, yeah, you know, Mon Mothma doesn't exactly seem like a barrel of laughs with her dire news about rebel spies and Bothans. Anyway, Lando doesn't exactly trust him, but Han sure does because he's Corellian and also hates it when you tell him the odds. How'd you like my Han impression? I, I like 60% committed. 
on that one. Tim gave me the look like it could have been better. (laughs) Anyway, Mara's loyalties are pretty complicated at this point, but... Uh, you know, basically, she just wants to get Thrawn off of Card's trail. She's pretty loyal to Card at this point. So she uses her Emperor's Hand ID badge to demand an audience with Big Bluey himself in order to offer him the Katana Fleet in exchange for Card's freedom. She has to pass an art exam for Thrawn because, you know, Thrawn's gonna Thrawn, you know? He begrudgingly agrees, but captures Card anyway because he's Thrawn and he has bigger plans and is one step ahead of you. This makes Mara pretty jaded. Did you get it? Jaded. Worked really hard on that, that one. Good, There's dude. only that really good. one hope left for. Thanks, Freddie. All right, somebody, you know, Cheryl's going to hate it. Cheryl's going to hate that one. <laughs> um, that is to say, of course, that uh, uh, there's only one help left for her. She has to team up with the whiny, goody two shoes Luke Skywalker, even though she totally wants to kill him. It's a good thing that she needs him too, because Luke's in way over his tread, over his head, trying to redeem crazy old shirtless buff force lightning fingers Jeruus Sabaoth. There's an awesome lightsaber duel, and the pair of young Jedi lovers escape and rescue Card. The book ends in a massive space battle, as most Zahn books do, with Thrawn ending up in possession of most of the Katana fleet. Yeah, uh-oh, yikes. Good thing there's one more book left in this trilogy, because otherwise, it looks like Thrawn's pretty much just gonna win, right? So, uh... Guys, help me out here. We gave pretty high scores last time around. I think Freddie and I both gave 10s to Heir to the Empire. Now, Freddie, follow me up. Um, do you go higher? you go lower, equal? Uh, how does Dark Force Rising uh, do in terms of following up on on the Legends masterpiece himself? Yeah, this one. This one's interesting for me. I, I give this one, if I could give it the same, I would, which would be a 10. Um, okay. And I'll tell you what. Uh, this one is probably one of my favorites out of the trilogy, for sure. And I I, nice. I love the first one, right? The first one introduces everything, but there's something about the second one, and we'll we'll get into it. Okay, okay, Tim. Yeah, I'm in the same boat. Uh, if I'm if I can't give it a ten, I'll give it a ten point three. It was so good. Uh, I love sequels. You know, Empire. Um, the Dark Knight, How to Train Your Dragon Two. I mean, like this is <laughs> no, right up there with what? it. <laughs> Wait, hold on. Where do you where do you rank on Toy Story Two? <laughs> Toy Story Two. Because I fine. hate it. It's fine. <laughs> okay, it's it's got like a, it's got a Star Wars reference in it, but uh, famously, I hate it. Absolutely hate it. I like uh, Back to the Future Two. Oh though. yeah, yeah, yeah that's that good. good one. Zerg, you can quote me on this. Zerg is a knockoff Darth Vader. Hundred percent. All right. <laughs> yep. Okay, so so you say as a sequel follows it up well, uh, maybe even higher. Um, Bro Dameron says, "Bruh, how to train your dragon series is baller," which I've never heard it described that way. But Bro Dram- Bro Dameron, I, I salute you for that description. I actually think I'm going to go a little bit lower on this one. Um, I, I would at least give it a nine, uh, maybe as high as a nine five. It's a very good Legends book. Heir to the Empire is is very special, and and, and I like Last Command more than this one. This one sags a little bit in the middle for me, but but not much. Not much at all. I mean, seriously, I ranked this in my top 10 Legends books, so don't hear me. I feel like I have to apologize to it and like um, make it up to it tomorrow by taking it out for donuts or something. Um, you know, this is a book that I absolutely love, but um, for some reason, it just... Maybe it's because it starts slow. Everybody's kind of picking up the pieces at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, it's got the same repetitious, like Thrawn is one step ahead of them in a space battle, which is cool. But, um, you know, it doesn't quite hit as strong for me. Um, and, and that being said, the the adventure of Han and Lando to um, to meet Garmbel Iblis feels like Zahn didn't know what to do with them, and so he introduced a new character. It, he's a great character, but to me it felt like it was pretty obvious that Zahn didn't quite know where they were going. So he had to stick them somewhere and introduce introduce somebody. You see what I mean by that? I get it. I can see it. And, and I've heard some gripes about Leia's... Um, the whole thing with the Nogri, and um, I've heard some people say they don't like that. That's probably my favorite part of the book, though. It's I so agree. incredibly tense. I mean, I'm getting sweaty just thinking about it. <laughs> that or maybe it's all the all the lights in here. I'm not sure. But tonight, we're going to be talking specifically about the characters, and boy, does Zahn introduce some amazing characters in this trilogy. We barely scratched the surface with our Bothan fingernail last week uh, in terms of these characters. This week, we're going to be getting into more depth, and we are starting off once again with Mara Jade. So, Tim... This is a question that I had pretty early on in reading the book, and it's answered a little bit later on in the story, but 
you know, how much do you think Card actually knew about Mara's past? Well, what do you think their relationship is like? Yeah, um, you know, how how much do you think he's upset when he eventually finds out, you know, everything that's that's actually gone on with her? Yeah, I don't know that he he knows details, right? But he definitely knows something is there. Um, and I think later on when he finds everything out, I think he's disappointed that she didn't maybe trust him enough to reveal that to him earlier on. But um, I could definitely see that he he knew something and was just trying to be trusting, right? Like she's got these special skills, she's got these talents that he des- he desperately needs. Um, but yeah, I don't I don't think he knew he knew the extent of it. It's pretty interesting that uh, once they were relocated from Mirkur, which is where all of the Yasalamari are, um, once her force powers are a little bit more exposed, his uh, his pet Vornskers, Strum and Drang, gotta love them. Mm-hmm. Um, gotta be top ten Legends characters for sure. Gotta love Strum, Sturm, Sturm. Man, this is hard for my Mississippi mud mouth to spit out. <laughs> it's it's a German word, isn't it? Strum. Yeah, there you go. Freddy says it so beautifully. <laughs> you know, he um, realizes then when his Vornskers are, like, ready to tear her apart that, like, oh, she must be Force-sensitive. So kind of uh, illuminating more uh, that there's more to her story than he knows. It makes sense for me that he would bring her on because she's pretty ruthless. She's uh, on top of things, very capable. But, like, as a smuggling chief, I guess you get pretty good at hiring staff without, like, the most thorough interview process. I imagine if you're interviewing for Talon Card, it's more like, can you smuggle this shipment of explosives under the Empire's nose? More so than like, I got to do a thorough background check. What do you think, Freddie? How much did how much did Card know about Mara? Not a lot. And you know, let's let's just think about the industry that he's in, right? As a smuggler, it's not really about interviewing like the traditional route, right? It's more about like, what's your cred? What can you do? Can you prove it? Uh, and if if someone speaks for you, right, or or if you can just prove it right on the spot, uh, he's he's gonna get you. This person's an asset. Uh, not a thorough yeah. background check. If anything, you know, maybe maybe a little bit, but even what she did was very covert, right? So it's not like he could really find anything, especially if it was scrubbed. You know, the uh, big reveal with Card and Mara later in the book is that she kind of betrays him and kind of not. Uh, her motivations are pretty murky. Mirky? I can say murky. Um, <laughs> she's uh, she's pretty divided in terms of um, who she's going to fight for. She ends up demanding an audience with Thrawn and uses Card's secret information that he confided in her as leverage to try to free him. So it's like maybe she had good intentions and yet... It's probably a big secret that he shouldn't go telling Thrawn, right? Who specifically wants to kill Card. And when she does, he offers her a spot back in the Empire. He's like, yo, if you want to do this, you better bring me those ships. And I, I, I actually, I've read this book a bunch of times, but even my most recent read-through, I was like, ah, this hurts. It's kind of painful. It's like, you know, I trust her, and yet uh, it feels a little bit like a betrayal. Uh, Tim, did you feel like Mara would betray Luke at any point? You know, I'm, she... She always had me guessing, right? I never knew. Even on the, the second read-through, I was like, I, I really don't, I don't know what she's going to do. Um, so I, I could see her, her betrayal being very real, um, and I could feel that, you know, should it have gone that way. But also, you know, there's some redemptive qualities about her, I think. Um, and at the end of the day, I think she's very much like Card in that she needs every asset she can get her hands on to make sure that she comes through okay. So I don't know. That's a tough yeah. question. Yeah, she's definitely got her pieces, her hands on a lot of pieces on the chessboard. I mean, I don't guess you can play multiple pieces at once, but um, you know, she, she's certainly, I'm inventing a new game because it's Star Wars. Why not Dejaric? Hmm. Um, man, I spent like a week trying to learn how to build my own Dejaric board. Oh, that's awesome. was unsuccessful, but one day, one of these days. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I saw that about Tim's audio not working on that uh, other scene. We'll leave it here for now. Uh, thanks, though, Cheryl. Uh, Freddie, how about you? Did you, did you ever question Mara you know who's who she was fighting for um did you feel like she was gonna betray Card or Thrawn or Luke I always felt confused by her and I think because that's how she is right now right in this stage she's confused she's she's getting her her whole her whole world is being turned around and inside and out and and everything is not what it was right like it wake up she woke up like she's waking up you can tell and uh yeah 
you can feel that because even even when you read about her and read read what she's doing i don't think she quite knows what she's doing she might have an idea right kind of like how we all have an idea when we're in high school that we know everything <laughs> but she she doesn't she's still finding things out and she's still trying to discover who she is and that's what you see yeah. that's that's how i feel yeah that's a good point she's definitely in flux in transition she's being pulled this way and that way and her whole life on Mirker has just been turned upside down and um you know Cheryl makes a great point she herself doesn't know what she wants and she's trying to figure it out echoing uh, Freddie's sentiment there so uh, that's a great point appreciate that um I gotta say though with Mara the most inc- the incredibly satisfying moment for me my most recent read through this time around was when Mara force choked Thrawn um, because, you know, he totally went back on the agreement. Uh, he gave her eight days to find the fleet, and instead, what, uh, totally captured Card like the next day, maybe three days later? Definitely not eight, for sure. And she's, like, chewing him out, and Rook is right there. You know, the her, Thrawn's Nogri bodyguard, and she just straight up forks chokes him. I was out on a walk with my dog listening to that, and when she force choked Thrawn, I, I dropped the leash threw my hands up in the air, and just screamed, yes, get him! And people were looking at me. It was amazing. Um, absolutely perfect Legends moment. And it was like, that was gutsy for her, because Rook, hey, if he's good at one thing, it's stabbing. Am I right? You know what I mean? Don't go force-choking somebody around Rook, unless it's Rook. Definitely force-choke him. He's scary, for sure. Um, so I absolutely loved that. How satisfying was that for you, Fred? Yeah, that was, it was, uh... It was like a sigh, like, oh, okay, finally. Like, she is as powerful as, she, as I thought she was. <laughs> yeah, it says more about her power than it does, you know, ever putting Thrawn in danger. You never really feel like she's going to kill Thrawn, yeah, right? No. Uh, Tim, do you want to weigh in on this? Yeah, I think it also shows a little bit of her lack of restraint, right? Um, okay. She's just absolutely... Very raw. She's very raw, for it. sure. Yeah, very raw. Uh, what is it, the, the phrase, hell hath no fury like a woman scorned, um, and she just <laughs> gave it to him. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Tim and I both have the Christian minister thing, so we're just going to be all tonight making nothing but uh, Bible references and uh, good, good like uh, ministerial quotes, um, things that feel like pieces of catchy good advice. It's especially good advice if it rhymes. Yes. That's what I always say. So try to iron that one out a little bit for next week. Um, I, I do love that. You know, she's very raw, and um, she, of course, is at a point where. Um, many of us know where she's going, right? Uh, her, her, her story has been out in the open for decades. We're trying to do our best to go one book at a time without totally spoiling everybody in case we've got some Legends newbies here, like Tim. You're pretty recent to all of this. Um, and so for us who feel like Mara is safe, it's nice to see her do something really dangerous that makes us uncomfortable because uh, later on in Legends, she does but kind of come just like uh, the Jedi mom. And, and at this point, it's pretty cool to see her uh, do something that's surprising. And especially, I mean, the number of characters who force choke Grand Admiral Thrawn. I mean, how many books has he been in? Is she the only person to ever do it? Yeah. Uh, pretty pretty gutsy thing to do, right? Yeah. She, uh, <laughs> she showed him, for sure. I mean, there's no doubt. Like, he, if, if he had... Because uh, I know, you know, Chiss, uh, if, if you look at some of their background, even back then, they, they were warriors, and I, I believe... Um, but, uh, he, uh, there was no way he would win a fight with her, I don't think. And I think that was the moment you could, you could tell for sure. I mean, if she's commanding a a fleet of spaceships against Thrawn, you know, feel like, hey, he's probably the one who can do a good job at at winning in that engagement. And yet, um, you know, he, in, in this instance, is not much of a fighter. Some recent Thrawn books have gone back in and tried to show he knows some hand-to-hand combat. We see a little bit of that in Rebels, but not so much in these books. Mm-mm. He's good at maneuvering and planning. Um, I imagine he's really good. What's that game that Andrew likes to play uh, that he played on um, on, on Game Night? Minesweeper. The, no, no, no. The one where you like uh, do the, the ships and you battle strategy. Empire at War. Uh, Empire at War. Yeah, yeah. Empire at War. I feel like uh, Thrawn's the only person who could beat Andrew at that, so... Uh, sorry, Andrew, but maybe if you just grow some red eyes, uh, you'd be better. Uh, the other character who's really good at space battles is a new character in this book, Garm Bel Iblis. Um, he, of course, is introduced, and Thrawn has gone. Uh, Zahn has gone on record in saying that uh, this was a point in the story as he was writing it where he realized he didn't really know what to do with Han and Lando, so ends up tying Garm Bel Iblis into 
the early days of the rebellion and showing the machinations that are kind of behind the scenes with the New Republic, as well as somebody who has worked with Phalia in the past to help investigate more of that mystery. Uh, so, Freddie, how does Garm Bell-Iblis demonstrate the idealism of the early rebellion? Where did it go wrong with Garm Bell-Iblis? You know, I have to look at, at uh, Mon Mothma to see where it went right. Right. Every time, every time I think about this, I always have to think about where, how, how she wanted the Republic to be. Right, the New Republic, which was very, very much like Mandalore. Right, if you think about it, no weapons, no war. Uh, very, very, um, you know, empathetic with people, what their needs are, trying to get everyone, you know, as, as satisfied as possible. The the dream, and. He wasn't quite the same, and it's hard for me to really pinpoint it, but it, it was almost like he just didn't have that that path, that, that vision that she had, and that's why they just split. It, it, it was just two different factions, even in the same rebellion. Yeah, she's more of a pacifist. He's more of a, um, a warrior. Yeah. Is that your take on it, Tim? Yeah, I think so. Um, you know, I think that if he, had, if he had wanted it maybe as badly as she did, he would have stuck around. Um, and so I, I think there may have been a difference there, you know, um, I, I don't know that I could have looked at her and, and seen the, you know, she's hoarding all the power to herself. You know, I've never necessarily gotten that vibe from her. Yeah. Um, but I could, yeah, I, I definitely see that he maybe wanted more piece of the pie. Um, and he wasn't willing to let that go for the greater cause. One of my favorite things in Legends is seeing how, and even in canon, is seeing how the Rebellion formed. The early days of the Rebel Alliance is a lot of fun for me. Um, I liked the the plot in one of the Force Unleashed books. might have been the second one, where you actually have uh, Mon Mothma hanging out, teaming up with Garmbel Iblis mm-hmm. and uh, Bail Organa. Get some Ga- Bail Organa. I almost called him Gale. Sorry. Uh, some Bail Organa love in the chat. Gotta love us some Bail Organa. Um, you kind of see them teaming up to infiltrate and find out what's going on with the Death Star, which is a lot of fun, um, which kind of had me uh, aching to see him in Rebels. Uh, Tim, would you have liked to see Garm Bell Iblis? How many times do I have to say Garm Bell Iblis <laughs> until I can actually spit this out of my mouth? Now, would you have liked to have seen him in Rebels? Do you think he would have worked? Yeah, I think so. Um, I, but I think a better place may have even been in Rogue One. Um, you know, if he, oh, okay, if he was cool. maybe around the table, oh, yeah. um, you know, right before Jen takes off um, and, you know, they go and do the thing, right? Like, I, I think he might have been there. I'm kind of hoping okay. that we get that story. So it's possible. He could have been. We just didn't see him. He was just slightly off camera. Yeah. I like that a lot. Uh, Cheryl has a good idea in the chat. She says maybe that's where they got the idea for Saw. He's yeah. an extremist, though. So, so. Garm is definitely a warrior, has his own militant group who was doing these, uh, you know, hit-and-run attacks on the Empire all these years, even though they're not a part of the New Republic. So there's definitely some overlap there. The biggest difference, though, is um, need more Borgullet, am I right? Uh, That's the one big difference between, (laughs) as far as I can see it, between Garm and... um, who are we talking about here? Garmin Saw. Yeah. What's up with these monosyllabic names? Freddie, you want to weigh in on yeah, this? Yeah, I really do, actually. Is it is it the Boar Gullet? Is that the difference? <laughs> I <laughs> Boar Gullet. Um, <laughs> that was pretty that good. That was good. That was good. So, uh, I can feel you taking over my mind as we speak. <laughs> I, I really like I really like him. Garm is probably one of my favorite characters, but he's also... He reminds me a lot of how I would probably be in a rebellion. Just caught up in the war and the de- the defeat and it's it, i mean you can imagine as someone who gets peace after that how do you do peace you know that's kind of that's kind of hard sure uh yeah. but he i would say he's he's spoken for as Sogwera. i mean if you if you look at um if you look at clone wars for instance uh when you see his character in there he's he's very much that let's fight the let's fight the warrior let's fight the the biggest battle we can let's do this thing right they're true rebels uh but it you know it's, I, I think i think about it a, a lot like the u.s for instance against britain that's exactly how i see him in that position yeah sure and i think cheryl's making a great point um you know about saw there being a big parallel there um with with possibly him being the inspiration for that uh, garm having been the inspiration for saw and re reimagined re a little bit i like that quite a bit 
Um, you know, one of the things that uh, is is an interesting introduction for Garmbel Iblis is the way that he has this history with these uh, major players in the Rebel Alliance. And there's this big controversy going on between Akbar and Borsk Falia. Uh, can I get an F in the chat for Borsk? Uh, I, we love to hate Borsk, don't we? Um, he actually is probably one of my favorite Legends characters. I love love just uh, what a great foil he is for our idealists. He's all about the power. He's trying to position. He's trying to maneuver. Um, and, and yet he has uh, just a great storyline for, for uh, many, many books to come mm-hmm. in Legends. Um, but, Freddie, let me ask you this. You know, Heir to the Empire ends on this massive cliffhanger of Akbar's arrest, which came as the result of Borsk's political maneuvering. So so what's the difference, do you think, between Akbar on the one hand and Phalia on the other? Oh, man. I mean, if I, I remember... Every time I read this this part, every time I read about Phalia, I always wish that I could just be placed right in the story and I could just give him a right hook right to the chin. Uh, every single time I read about him, I just want to... I want to knock him out. And... Uh, <laughs> And it's it's got to be a fuzzy chin. Yeah, and I oh, feel, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I feel that way about this book too. I mean, he just you you're just like, dude, calm down. Seriously, like Akbar out of all people, think about it, bro. That's how I feel every single time. Yeah, I mean, Akbar, he's he's so lovable in uh, Return of the Jedi. You know, it's like Akbar feels like all of our squishy fishy uncle, doesn't he? <laughs> And yet, uh, Heir to the Empire portrayed him as kind of a jerk, didn't you think? Oh, yeah. Um, he's, he's like, chewing out Han for not being in the military anymore. He's like, Han, you abandoned... Uh, I, I was going to practice my Akbar impression this week, and it didn't happen. Maybe for next week. Earlier today, I was like, what impression was I going to work on? It was that one. Yeah, I don't have it's it. A it's not It's not there. It's yeah, There it is. That's pretty good. Um, but he, he definitely came across as a jerk in Heir to the Empire. He's, like, straight-laced military man. And he wants uh, other people to play by the same rules as him and is easily upset when they don't. You know, who doesn't want to play by his rules? Phalia. Now, what do you think, Tim, is the difference between Akbar and Phalia at the core? Yeah, I think at the end of the day, Akbar will, even if he knows that he's good at what he does, um, you know, he is in command for a reason. I think he will still set aside his self for the greater good, for the cause. Um, and Phalia definitely will not do that. Um, not, not, no, no humble bone in his furry body. I'll say not, all. I'll say not at this point. <laughs> not, not at, at this, this point. point. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's a good, that's a good, uh, Zonism there. He says point a lot, especially at this point in, in these nineties books. Anytime there's an argument between characters, it is the apostrophe of, um, you know, later Zon books. What's the thing that came up a lot in chaos rising? Uh, indeed, indeed. perhaps he says those a lot at this point in legends, it's point. Any time there's an argument. Um, I, I really like Borisk for being a foil, though. Uh, Phalia is somebody who, uh, you know, is, is an important person because the Bothans have played such a, a massive role for the rebellion, for the New Republic. But the, 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 the big key in all this is he wasn't especially active during the rebellion. He swooped in to get the glory once the government is established. Um, in my first read-through, I, all the way through, I was pretty sure he was the spy. I just thought he was straight-up evil, and uh, we won't say too much about that for now, but at least by this book, it's becoming more and more evident that that there's something else going on in terms of the spy. We've talked about the original characters that uh, Zahn has introduced in these books. Let's talk about the, the legacy characters, Han, Luke, Leia, uh, so forth and so on. You know, a significant plot point in this book is Leia's trip to the Nogri homeworld Honiger, discovering the truth of Darth Vader's relationship with them, and you know, Thrawn eventually tracking her down there and her hiding, and then there's the Wookiee hair, and um, it's it's really tense. Alright, I mean, I'm still, I'm gonna need like two or three hours to calm down just from my reread. Um, it is so incredibly tense. It, and it just leads me back to this decision point, and they, they reconfront it in this book. Han is especially peeved. Tim, do you think that that um, Leia made the right choice in going alone to Honiger, alone with 3PO and, and Chewie. That worked out conveniently. <laughs> um, do you think that she was too trusting, or was this the right move? No. Obviously, hindsight's twenty twenty, but yeah. yeah, definitely bold, don't you think? Yeah, for sure, definitely bold. Uh, but I think when I, when I read it through the first time, you know, I had to remember who Leia was, right? And she's always... She, she's always been a character who has made the right choice, at least as far as I can remember and what I have read. Um, and so, 
you know, I think she has the, the more political mind, right? She's been doing this her entire life. And so knowing to, to come in guns blazing or to come in with, you know, her husband who is, you know, all up in arms about things. Um, yeah, Han, Han would not be chill. No, not Han at, at all. Not at all. At all. So I, yeah. I think it was good for her. <laughs> I think it made sense to me. Um, and if I were her, I probably would have done the same thing. Okay. Uh, Freddie? Yeah. I, I feel like that scene when she's sitting there, I don't know if it was a closet, I forget what it was, uh, Thrawn's in the same room is like, I mean, I, I was holding my breath when I was, when I was reading that part. I, I didn't even realize it. I'm still holding yeah, it. I, and, okay, yeah. And when he now. walked away, it was just like, whew. And then, but it wasn't like a sigh of relief because she just realized, I just, uh, <laughs> I just made some a mess on this planet and I got to fix it. And she has no idea how to do it yet. Absolutely. They're in hot water with Thrawn for sure. Uh, Of course, he discovers the Wookiee hair, finds out that they've been um, hiding in in a bedding uh, Leia uh, or or somebody involved with the rebellion and all of this. He's able to figure it out, even though he can't physically find them on the planet. uh, There's almost a public execution. And then she finds out, of course, that, uh, you know, there was a little bit more to the story. One of the big interesting wrinkles here that, that I, it's the thing that stands out to me the most about this book whenever I reflect back on it. You know, <laughs> I remember some key points from Heir to the Empire. I remember like one thing from this book, and it's this entire scene on Honegger where the, the Nogri were Vader's secret bodyguard. Um, they were his own private army, and now Thrawn has inherited them. As, as his own private assassin force. And Leia's challenging why that relationship is the way that it is, discovers that there was a battle, and it's really interesting to think about the, the casualties of war, right? The fallout. Um, with the innocent people who were caught up in all of this, uh, and that is that uh, the, the rebellion and the empire are having a battle above the planet, and the debris rains down hmm. on the planet and ruins their ecosystem. Um, you know, what we've always imagined is what happens to the Ewoks, right? Uh, but this is, you know, what's happened on Honegger. We find out that Vader comes in, finds all the destruction, and offers them a deal. He will save their planet if they enlist to serve him. We, of course, eventually find out the rest of that story, which is that uh, he was actually poisoning their soil in order to keep them forever on the hook. But um, how did this how did this color your perception of Vader, Tim? Yeah, for me, at first, you know, until I learned the truth of it all, it seemed like, you know what, maybe Vader is heroic from a certain point of view. We, of course, in the prequels, which come later than this book, of course, this is 92, we learn a lot more about Anakin. It's totally something I can imagine Anakin doing, um, at least becoming this world's savior, not so much the poisoning their soil part. Uh, Tim, what do you think? Yeah, definitely. I I did get some Anakin vibes of, you know, he's not going to go... and just brutally massacre a, a species, um, you know, that's unfamiliar to him, I think, um, unless they were to do something brutally harmful um, to him. And also, I think that, you know, he looks towards how can how can we use them? Um, and he recognizes that they are strong and capable um, and very sneaky. <laughs> and I think yeah. that he's definitely going to use that to his advantage. Um, and so I could definitely see the Vader aspect of that of, you know, let's use this weak creature who has some strengths that could fit our cause and let's just absolutely brutalize them and and knowing that they're going to be in a I guess a psychological state enough to know they don't have a choice but to serve um, and their honor kind of demands that of them you know I think it was a good play by him Okay, great. Yeah, uh, I've been corrected by Bro Dammer, and he says it's a Clone War battle. So that's a good point. Uh, and, and I will say in this book, the the timeline with the Clone Wars is a little bit messy. Um, there's uh, super messy. some information that George is going to go back and retcon a little bit. So forgive me if I've got my dates wrong, but so does Zahn. Okay, no, I appreciate the correction there. It's a Clone Wars battle, not uh, Rebel Empire battle. Um, I, I did... My reread was uh, about half of the audiobook and half the graphic novel. So I've got some gaps <laughs> for sure in my most recent reread because there's only so much time in the week with our weekly roundtables now. Freddie, you want to weigh in on this one, though? Um, did this uh, color your perception of Vader? It's interesting to learn about Vader, even though Vader's not in the book, right? It's funny because I, I was going to say the exact same thing that Tim said. The thing is, with with Vader, he is still Anakin, just... 
evil, right? The evil version of Anakin, in my opinion. And Anakin, you, you see a little bit as in, uh, you know, he goes to this planet. He doesn't really want to kill these guys. And then they kill all of his stormtroopers. And he's like, okay, I like warriors. I appreciate them. How can I use this? In, you know, with, with a Sith influence, right? Of, I, I, in order for me to keep my supply, I need to make sure that they depend on me instead of going the, literally the opposite route, which would be the Jedi way of, you know, let's make these people, you got to think about it. This too, they're pre, pre space travel species, right? They're pre travel, pre space travel species, just like us. Yeah. So, right. They don't have a way off yeah, planet. Exactly. So imagine someone coming to our planet. Uh, we've got a bunch of martial artists. They, they like that, you know, and then they poison our earth. You know, you got to think of it that way. And it's really intense. Yeah. I will say, though, Freddie, you know, with all the stuff that's happened in 2020, I would welcome alien invaders at this point. Vader. Like, aliens, please come. Aliens please come. invader. <laughs> there we go. Oh, for now Freddie's chiming in on the puns. We've talked about Leia. We've talked about Vader. Let's keep it in the Skywalker family here. Let's talk about Luke as well. Uh, one of the things that I absolutely love in this book, and I also find it a little bit cringy, but it's interesting to see Zahn himself trying to explore, before the prequels, what would a Jedi have been like before the war, right? Before the Empire, before the Dark Times. Um, what do you think this scene in which Luke mediates this cantina brawl, uh, how does that illustrate what, what Zahn is trying to show us the Jedi are all about, Freddy? You know what? Give me, give me a moment on this one. We'll come, yeah. we'll come back to you. Uh, I find that, you know, this, this way of him saying, well, Jedi were not always warriors. They, they're peacemakers. They're respected in the galaxy. Uh, what do you think, Tim? I think I felt just as confused as Luke was when confronted with this. <laughs> of like, okay. wait, what? What am I supposed to do now? No one ever told me about this. Um, but, yeah. but I can, I see the, um, uh, it's tough. I don't know, man. I don't know how to put words to it other than I think this is probably the best way to show them being peaceful is making making wise judgments. Um, yeah. And that was a sign of a lot of, um, you know, very powerful, you know, uh, kings back in the day and strong leaders is you base things based on their, their judgment and their wisdom and the way that they can read a situation. And so I guess... I guess Jedi being, you know, in tune with the force ought to be able to make wise decisions, see clarity, speak truth in ways that should diffuse and everyone comes out all right. I, so I guess that's what he was trying to go for. Um, but I felt just as confused when I read it. of like, this is odd. I don't like it. <laughs> yeah. Um, the, the judgment reminds me just the other day I was teaching um, about the story of King Solomon who uh, there's this famous story, you know the story, Freddie, where it, they there's these two women, they bring to him a baby, and the two women are arguing over whose baby it is, because uh, one of their babies has died. And so one of, the mo- one of these women is claiming this other baby is hers. And then uh, Solomon says, I've got a way to figure out whose baby, it's so horrible. It's messed uh, up. He comes up with this way to say, I, I know how we can figure out whose baby it is, let's slice the baby in half. And the, then one mother, one of the women says, like, no, please don't kill the baby. Give it to the other woman. And in that instance, uh, I almost called Solomon um, Thrawn. Man, what a, that's confusing. <laughs> Blue and, all right. Um, who knows? Uh, we gotta, always got to have the Bible crossovers. A- anyway, that is to say that uh, he was able to identify who the mother really was. And this really reminded me of what Luke did here. He was able to discern the trickiness of this negotiation between, what was it, a, a bearable and a Rodian? <laughs> a bearable and a Rodian walk into a cantina. Uh, then there's a baby. It, it gets crazy. Um, anyway, it's, it's one of those things uh, where we, we find Luke exerting judgment and wisdom rather than just being a warrior. I don't even remember if there was a light. Uh, there was a lightsaber, but nobody had to get an arm lopped off, uh, and so there's that. But um, you know, Freddie, uh, how do you think this showed Zahn trying to navigate wh- what Jedi would have been pre-war time? So this is super interesting because at this point in time, we didn't have any anything, right? There was nothing about the Clone Wars. There were nothing about the Old Republic. Uh, just ideas yeah. here and there. And nowadays, right, if you play, if you play certain, uh, I think it's uh, Star Wars The Old Republic, 
you have a consular, right? A Jedi consular who is like a political aide who helps ease tension and situations and uses, you know, the other side of, of the, the persuasion, right? The persuasion to do the right things, etc. The, the counter to the Sith. Um, uh, but but yeah. back, you know... Luke's got the green lightsaber. Isn't that yeah. consular? So, yeah, yeah, I think that's consular. So you go back and you, and you think about this before, you know, when Thrawn was writing this. You know, what is the opposite of Vader and Palpatine, right? What do, what do they do, right? They're, they're fighting, they're, they're killing, etc. What, what do they have to do? And he's got to imagine they're, they're helping solve problems, right? They're, they're the ones that are maybe heading something like the, uh, you know, Red Cross version of whatever in Star Wars, right? Those are the guys that are yeah. the Jedi, mm-hmm. not fighters, you know? And just to, to picture that is very interesting because yeah, Tim said it. It's kind of like, it's boring, but it's, it's the right way to do it. <laughs> yep. Uh, and it's really echoed, this this judgment scene is mirrored later in the book with uh, Jeruah Sabaoth exerting judgment on um, Jomark, the planet where he's stationed, and his version of judgment is just force lightning. You don't agree with me? You get some force lightning, and you get some force lightning, and I know Joxy's going to make a gift of that, which is awesome. Um, but uh, it's, it's one of these instances where we find Thrawn... Uh, Zahn's setting up something later in the book where we find out that Savayoth has a very different understanding of what it means to be a Jedi. His idea is like, hey, you've got power, doesn't matter, read their minds, get the information, make the judgment, get them out of here. Um, when do you think, Freddie, when do you think Luke realized that Savayoth may not be my next Ben, may not be my next Yoda? When do you think he realized that Savayoth isn't exactly going to be the Jedi master that he's looking for to help him further his Jedi journey. It's so funny to see the progression of this because it's literally how I think everybody would react, right? Imagine you meet this guy who is supposed to be, you know, a master of what you are. And then you meet him and you're like, uh, he kind of sounds crazy, but I don't really know him yet. And then you get to meet him more and you're like, oh man, this guy, I don't know too many of the, these kinds of people like me, but I don't feel like it's him. <laughs> and you can just see him <laughs> go through that phase. And it's kind of awkward to, to sit there. Like, yeah. I, I wonder what he's feeling like, oh, he's like cringy, you know, this, and they always mention how buff he is or his chest. Right. I love it so much. But uh, <laughs> yeah, he's just weirded out. You can tell it's so cringy. How about you, Tim? Oh, yeah. I think it's that, that moment they're talking towards the end, and he just kind of blanks out mid-conversation and then tells Luke to go to his room. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, and Luke's get like, get out of here. Leave me alone with my force lightning. <laughs> right. Like, that That for me was the was like, no, nah, I'm done with this, dude. There's, there's no chance. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, I was reading that in the graphic novel adaptation earlier, and I was like, I wonder if the book shed any more light on this because I feel like I'm missing a panel, missing a pain. Yeah, maybe it just shows that he's his clone body is breaking down and his mind can't handle it. And you know, Luke is trying to grill him about like, tell me more about outbound flight, uh, aka Zahn's like, please buy my book that I'm gonna write eventually. Um, and and uh, he doesn't quite have all the details for Luke and doesn't really want to talk about it, but he mostly just wants Luke to go ahead and give him those Jedi babies, right? Which, oh my goodness, that's a scary thought, isn't it? Um, but there's this dilemma that happens with Sabayoth where they've um, Luke and Mara have this awesome lightsaber duel with him because Luke wants uh, Mara wants Luke to go with him to rescue Card, and Luke, being the good boy that he is, wants to go help his friend, uh, even though she totally wants to murder him. And then they end up uh, R two, I think, knocks out Sabayoth with the X wings lasers, and then Mara's ready. To decapitate the the fool and uh, Luke, being the good boy Jedi that he is, redemption's kind of his thing. He's like, no, let's give him another chance. So, Tim, do you think uh, do, you, do you side with more Luke or Mara in this situation? Is he too dangerous to be kept alive, or um, should they have just go ahead and ended him? Man, I really could go either way here. Um, <laughs> I just hate the guy. So whether he's on an island to himself, left alone for no one to ever see again, that's fine. Or if you kill him, that's fine too. <laughs> um, okay, so uh, walking the fence here. Yep. Uh, Freddie, how about you? Uh, it's yeah, yeah. It's it's, it's strange. Cheryl's team Mara. She, she's like, let's just go ahead and. Uh, 
Uh, would you go for the head or the heart? Uh, where would you stab him with the lightsaber? All right. Um, maybe that's not the way to go, but I don't even remember totally excited for the reread of the next book. Uh, I don't even remember totally what happens to him. I know that that uh, she faces off against Sabiath again, um, but I don't remember if you know how he dies or whatever. So it's, it's one of those things that for me is like, well, if you don't kill him now, you're just going to have to kill him later yeah. um, or get an ogre to do it or something like that. Uh, so expediency, and yet the thing that I love the most about Return of the Jedi Luke, which is very much this Luke, um, is that he believes in second chances, and that's certainly what yeah. he's doing for Mara. He's showing her that he uh, is not his father, right? That he doesn't just eliminate people who are in his way. Do you think that's right, Freddie? Yeah, yeah. It, it's it's funny because Sabiath is one of those guys, like, if you could just lock him away in a place you could never escape, that would probably be fine. You know, just... Keep him there. Uh, let him go crazy. He's going to destroy himself anyway. Um, there, but there's really no second chance for him. And I never had... I felt like there was going to be a second chance for, for Sabiath. But um, you can see that, that Mara is starting to see like how good Luke is and how, how he's... He is not who... who this, this propaganda that's in her head, right? This is not... This is not right. Like she, You can tell she's a little confused too. And... and and she wants to do something yeah. else, and then she starts to see Luke, and I know I think it shocks her a little bit that he's so peaceful. Yeah. Uh, and for the record, Cheryl says decapitate Sabayoth because you don't want to ruin his chest and abs. Just <laughs> <laughs> so hand great. On Good body. call. <laughs> that is the Photoshop that we need. Where's Joxie when we need him? Well, we've talked about uh, the, the good guys. We've talked about the bad guys. But we've got to talk at least a little bit about Big Bluey himself, Grand Admiral Thrawn. In the first book, we find that Thrawn is definitely uh, up to no good in terms of his military genius. He's really good at looking at art in just the right way. I feel like if, if you gave Thrawn one of those 90s... Like uh, seeing eye posters, what are those things called? The illusions, where you have to like cross your eyes in just the right way. He would be the first one to find the real picture every time, don't you boat. think? Uh, yep. He's the goat at those uh, crazy '90s art books. But you know, um, Thrawn is is definitely shown as a brilliant tactician in *Heir to the Empire*. But I feel like that's taken to the next level in *Dark Force Rising*. Uh, Tim, how do you see? Thrawn's brilliance elevated even more in this book. Oh man, just watching him, uh, you know, try to predict exactly where, you know, the Millennium Falcon will be and when, and, you know, this is a race to the end of exactly where we're going. Um, the ability to, to just plan that far out, I think is, is pretty unprecedented. I mean, we see some of that in rebels a little bit, you know, he's this master manipulator. He, he knows exactly what he's trying to do and, and where he's trying to corner people. But this was like a whole nother level of just, just throwing darts out there for anybody else. And he, he's right more often than not. Um, yeah, I think it's, it is crazy to see how, how he could do that. Um, and I wish, I wish, honestly, I wish we got more of it. It's so good. Yeah. You know, it's it was shocking to me early in the book when um, you've got Card and Mara watching the, the destruction of Mirker from an asteroid. And uh, Card is totally resting on his laurels. He's like, oh, yeah, we're good. They can't see us over here. And Mara's like, no, 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 no. We got to get out of here quick. And uh, then later in the book, you've got Card... Uh, you've got Thrawn finding Leia on Honegger, leaving, and then coming back because he definitely found her that second time. And it's like, oh, man, he is just too smart for them. Uh, Freddie, how do you see uh, Thrawn's brilliance elevated even to the next level in this book? It's so crazy how how not only are they one step ahead, but if they get like even a half step ahead of him, he he reads the he it's almost like he collects everything in his head he replays it like a hundred times every second and he's like wait a minute uh they're talking about this guy in this situation wait a minute that doesn't make sense you know like that's what's going on in his head we get kind of that visual in um in you know the newer thron but back then you don't really have that and you've got paleon to kind of walk you through it all but uh even when you think you're ahead, he just notices and he's like, nope, I know they're here. I, I have a feeling. And he just hones in on it and he's going to go at no mercy. Uh, there was- I love when he was able to snuff out um, where 
uh, Garm Bell-Iblis was involved mm. because he was able to notice like the formation of the ships, and he said a Corellian uh, commanded that battle. Mm. And he's able to figure it out just based on that. He, and and Garmel Iblis ends up being a good foil for Thrawn because he's the only now that Akbar is arrested, the only military commander who's even remotely a match for him, uh, which I like. But even then, Thrawn wins the battle at the end for the most part. Tim, did you have more on that? Well, yeah, there was a, a quote from Card earlier that I think applies to Thrawn as well. Um, you know, Card's having the conversation with Mary Jade, and he says, "You know, we will never have to do something; we will choose." to do something mm. and yeah. I, I think that's very true of Thrawn as well that even if he is boxed in a corner um, or it gets a step wrong you know he is right there picking it back up you know all those calculations are running all at once and um, I, I think that can be a- applicable to him as well for sure yeah really uh, Karj ser- ser- serves as the the guiding light for Mara even though he's morally gray and he believes in her, trusts her, and I absolutely love that about her. Um, so, guys, before we close it out, we've had a, a ton of fun with the characters tonight. Next week, we're going to get into the overarching questions. Questions like, what would you do with the Katana fleet? Where would you hide the, the Katana fleet? How do you think the Katana fleet accidentally <laughs> got lost? Uh, who got fired for that one? Also, we're going to talk about uh, this quote from Leia, you know, where she says that the New Republic is being held together with hope and crating tape. Is that just space duct tape? Probably. And we're going to talk about uh, the fragility of the New Republic. Uh, It's going to be a blast. So before we do, guys, uh, as lightning round here, we close out the episode. What was your favorite part of the book? Uh, You can give a shout out to a character we didn't really talk about, a scene we didn't get to highlight very much. Um, you just want to talk about, uh, you know, Cheryl's blasphemy and, and or was it Heather's blasphemy and calling, uh, talking about burritos with Taco Tim on the episode? I mean, what's going on there? Um, <laughs> Drama. Tim, what was your favorite part of Dark Force Rising? I, I loved every conversation between uh, Leia and, I guess, the matriarch of the, the Nogri. I can't remember how to exactly say that that word. Um, there's a really cool paragraph where yeah, um, you know, yeah. she's talking about the, the Clone Wars battle. Um, and there's there's a line that says, um, and yet there was no thunder as if those same gods were too angry uh, even to shout at each other as they fought. Um, and I remember being more frightened at the silence. And I don't know, that that's going to mm. stick with me for oh. a while, I think. Um, that's beautiful. Yeah, that just kind of to never let it get to that point. Um, and the fact that she could recognize that um, as someone who's never seen anything quite there. Um, I just thought all of those conversations were so deep and watching Leia learn more about uh, this species as we were getting to learn about them. um, It really made me wish that things in Rebels had gone differently because I want more Nogri for sure. Yeah, yeah, you got Rook in uh, in Rebels, but really don't get into the Nogri culture like this, which, hey, if you want Nogri culture, this book's got it. Yep. We're going to Honegger. We're getting our boots on the ground. We're hiding in their closets. Man, um, man, it was just a great quote, and that's where Zahn really shines in this trilogy. He's so great with these intimate moments, not just the big space battles, in a way that I don't feel like he's captured in his canon books. But that's just me. You're more than welcome to disagree. Believe it or not, I love Legends. So there's that. Now, what's your favorite part, Freddie? Okay, so there's two parts. One of them is, is exactly the thinking about the battle that was over the planet. That always fascinated me because, it, first of all, I love rogue squadron i love all the books so just thinking about it right thinking about the massive battle that was up there and of course these people had no idea that they were just going to kill off a planet and and ruin a race man and that and that was the thing that leia realized she was like we did this like this was us we got to fix it yeah and she she took yeah. it unto herself to fix uh she had a responsibility she noticed and uh um when it was uh when she was talking with the uh what is it like the uh, mitrak I think was what they call her, the matriarch. <laughs> so elo- so artfully said. <laughs> uh, she. I can see it written on the page. I just <laughs> yeah. can't try to <laughs> yeah. say it. Maitrak, I think. Anyway, so she just hearing the story because that that's what they were, right? They're they're the uh, matriarch storyteller leaders of the group, and hearing the story uh, painted so well, like I could see her, I could almost see it in my head of her telling it to me, even though it was not her. Uh, it was uh, what's his face? Sorry, I forgot his name. <laughs> Audiobook. <laughs> yeah. Oh, um, Mark Thompson. Mark Thompson's voice. Yeah. But uh, just I could. It was it was amazing. And then uh, number two, 
is the the amount of times they talk about his chest is fascinating. And <laughs> I, I yes. was thinking I, I need to figure out how to come up with a, a Sabayoth workout plan that I can share to you, Teeny. So, oh, man, that would be awesome. You got to grow a long white beard first, though. <laughs> yep. Oh, man. It's coming. All right. Patreon goal, everybody. Um, do you want to see a savvy, a Sabayoth workout fit? I can't even say it. I can't even say it. Oh my gosh. So amazing. Can't wait for that. That's going to be uh, one awesome Patreon stretch goal. Tim, you're our Patreon manager. So put that on the list. Yes, I will add that um, right now. <laughs> uh, I, I'll say one last shout out. I love the, uh, the lightsaber battle between, uh, Sabayoth and, uh, Luke. With Mara Jade, they're providing blaster fire from the wings. Uh, pretty cool because you just don't get to see a lot of Luke igniting the green very much anymore. You know, doesn't really make much of an appearance in the the sequel trilogy. And I was reading this in graphic novel form. Anytime he busts out uh, old reliable green, oh, just I mean, you, you don't you don't see the green when you're reading the books. So seeing it in graphic novel form was very very satisfying and then quite surprising. When uh, R2 ends the battle by uh, leave it to R2 to <laughs> bring in He's the X-Wing. This is pretty, pretty awesome. Absolutely. So uh, that does it for this week. Thank you, everybody, for joining us on this episode of Legends Look Back. Um, we, of course, uh, are only here because of our incredible patrons who have brought us here. And uh, we would not be here without you. That's for sure. We're so incredibly thankful for those who have supported us to get this far. And, of course, you can support us right here on Twitch. Uh, we are every Thursday night at 9.30 p.m. Eastern Time, 6.30 Pacific, on uh, twitch.tv slash utini underscore us. If you have Amazon Prime, you have one free Twitch Prime subscription a month, and we would be honored you, we would be honored, honored if you. All right, I tried. If you threw that our way, if you've got feedback for us and want it read on the show, you can email us at legendslookback at utini.com. You can join the Legends Look Back Discord channel. You can drop a um, a message in um, our uh, the the YouTube comments, as uh, some of our incredible listeners and fans have recently. Um, in the meantime, you can, of course, jump into uh, Patreon and chat with us. That's where you, a great place to find Tim, who's taking care of all of that. You can also find me on Twitter. I'm at Jared Q. Mays. Freddie is at Wake Up Freddie, and Timothy is at underscore T. Guthrie. If you're looking to buy some of these books and want to help support the show, look up a book on Utini. Click the Amazon link in the profile, and we'll get a few cents to help keep the lights on. Another way to help out the show and show, show your love of Utini is by grabbing some swag from Teespring, including the Legends Look Back t-shirt, the It Was So Artfully Done tank, or our Thrawn-inspired tee, which goes so, so well with, I think it's called Red Eye in the Void or something like that. Uh, Thrawn-inspired, just inspired, okay, which goes so well with the original Thrawn trilogy. You can wear the shirt while you read the book or... Uh, walk your dog or your Vornsker listening to the audiobook. Whatever the case may be, show your support of us over here at Utini. If you've read any of these books, please head over to utini.com and leave us a review. Let us know what you think. Remember, keep the Utini fan code and be a force for positivity in the fandom. Thanks, everybody, for being here with us. May the force be with you. This is... Teeny Broadcast.